Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead. I am your host for this week, Len Hafer, and I am joined here uh, by Kotaku's Luke Plunkett. Hello, everybody. Nice to be back. <laughs> he is uh, one of the only people I know that has played more Hearts of Iron 4 than me, uh, so I brought, uh, brought him on to talk about Hearts of Iron 4's gigantic recent expansion, um, No Step Back, uh, which completely reworked the supply and logistics systems, uh, finally updated the Soviet focus tree, long time coming, um, and a lot of other stuff. Uh, Luke, how are you feeling so far about uh, No Step Back from what you've played of it? I'll, I'll start with some caveats first. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this might be a long list. Uh, I've obviously, I've only been playing this for a couple of days. We've been, like at Kotaku, we've been pretty slammed with end of year coverage and end of year games and stuff. So I shamefully right. forgot this had even come out. And so it was, it was only the reminder <laughs> that this podcast was happening. And I was like, oh man, I've got to play this. And so I've only played it for a couple of days. So anybody who's like super into the finest points of how this stuff's all going to work, um, I'm not your guy for that at the moment because I, I haven't been able to like extensively check any of this out over, you know, dozens or hundreds of hours of playing it with different factions and different wars and whatever. That said, everything I have played for the last two days has been excellent. Um, who have you, uh, who have you checked out? So okay. Far? So I started obviously with the Soviets because that's like the mm-hmm. emphasis of this faction. I fired up a game and then I remembered really quickly why I never ever play as the Soviet Union because like, yeah. I I find it daunting. I find the number of territories yeah. and the side the number of land borders to be just so I don't know. I just can't do it. <laughs> I think I've only played like two games yeah. as the Soviets ever. So I fired it up, I started playing it. I got to I think it was 1941 and I was just overrun by like a, a bizarre German coalition on one side and the Japanese on the other. And I remembered why I hate playing as the Soviets. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That said, no, I, I had a similar, similar experience. Yeah. yeah. That said in the five years before it all went to hell, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was a far better Soviet experience. Cause like, while I find the actual mechanics of playing as a Soviet union, really daunting, um, the focus tree was, like everything I've ever wanted out of this game. Like it's so it's huge. It is. I was shocked by how big it is. I just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling sideways and then scrolling and scrolling down and thought, man, it's going to take me a long time to sort of play enough games to pick through all of these uh, options. Cause like, that's the number one thing I get out of playing hearts of iron. Like I'm not really a systems guy when I'm playing hearts of iron. I'm, I'm really sort Mm -hmm. of big on the, the developing narrative sort of aspect of the game, how every time you play it, um, you know, your factions develop differently. Other factions do every war is different, that kind of thing. And you can always, you know, adjust and, and change everything according to how you like it. And so for me, the number of options you can choose from on the focus tree and how interesting those options are, are sort of a huge part of what I get out of the game. And this like ticks all of those boxes, like the degree to which you can go down these bizarre little narrative corridors and and sort of really drastically shape how it all goes was like yeah really really cool yeah it's like i was expecting that there would be probably like a stalin path and a trotsky path and then like some like cheesy thing like restore the romanovs which you can do uh and maybe like a social democracy like a kerensky or something but then they've got like what what actually they ended up giving us is like you could put the patriarch of Moscow in charge of the country. I think is one of the paths you can go down. Uh, there's actually like a fascist path, like a fascist Russian Empire path, which is yeah, it's it's uh it's probably the most diverse alternate history tree I think that they've. Oh put yeah, out. by so, far because. Uh, yeah. So, but where I said it was daunting playing as the Soviet Union for yeah. my second game, I uh-huh. went. I went and played. Well, like I'm going to play someone more manageable, and so I started up a game uh-huh. as France. And I went to yeah. France's uh, focus tree, and I was like, manageable in a sense. I was like, oh, this is there's nothing yeah. here. <laughs> like the Soviets were letting me. The new focus tree let you not only choose like which communist path I was going down, but the specifics right. of who I was going to elevate and assassinate within that giving me all sort of multiple options down that way and then to go back to one of the older factions that hasn't got as much love over the years was like wow yeah they really have crammed a lot of stuff into this right right 
Um, the other thing that I absolutely love about the new Soviet mechanics, which I've talked about, I think at least on one episode before, because I was talking about the dev diaries that had come out, but I think that the Stalin paranoia meter is absolutely inspired. I was going to ask, um, <laughs> I wasn't sure because I don't play the Soviets that often. I was going to ask, yeah. is this new? Is this, this related? Because you know how the US has the, I, the presidential, like the Congress stuff right. in it. I was like, is this new and I just haven't seen it? Or is this something that's yeah. in there and I've just... No, it, this is new and I absolutely love it. I think it's one of the best features they've ever added to Hoi 4 and it's exactly the kind of new mechanics I want to see is like World War II has a lot of these like larger than life people who are notorious for making just absolutely off their rocker, wrong headed decisions. And I love the the idea that you as a player, like your agency here is is you're tr you're trying to lead the country to victory in spite of some of these personal idiosyncrasies. Like I, I could easily see something similar for Germany where it's like, oh, oh, no, what crazy idea does the Fuhrer have today? We're going to have to. All right. I guess we're going to have to work with with whatever this is. Um uh, does it disappear? It's... Have you played it enough to see, like, does, if you remove Stalin, does it disappear there... or is it replaced by whoever's? Yeah, I mean, if you get rid of Stalin, it goes away, and then oh, okay. if you finish, That's... if if you finish the branch of his focus tree, where you've like completed the purges, basically, uh, it also goes away. Because um, it is sort of like way, that, yeah. it is sort of similar to that system that the, the Japanese have, where you have to sort of balance the the competing like it's sort of a juggling act where you're trying to balance progression right. and upgrades in one way but you know in the japanese case it's if you go too far down the army path the navy gets upset if you go too far down the navy path right. the army gets upset but it's kind of a really sort of trivial side issue thing the way this is presented like both in terms of how catastrophic it can be when it goes wrong but if you haven't seen a screenshot of it, it's this comically oversized like needle yeah. <laughs> that sits yeah, exactly. in, on the Soviet screen. That's like reminding uh -huh. you constantly, like there's a giant red arrow. This man is very angry yeah. and millions of people are about to die. If you mess this yeah, up or and if you choose this. And it's not like there's like a set list of people who can die. Like he can just decide to off Zukov. And now it's like, all right, well, who's going to lead the army now? <laughs> this is, this is kind of bad. Um, yeah, it's, uh, like you're really good advisors. You can lose all your really good political advisors. So it's, yeah. So it's how, really, I, I haven't really, really seen how the random thing, I, I noticed that it triggers the chance of an event, not an event itself, which to me felt even yeah. scarier. Like you weren't, you weren't sort of automatically consigning yourself to a pre designated horrible thing. It was like Stalin's upset and he's paranoid and, and, insane and i don't know, i don't know if this is yeah. going to mean like is he going to purge the young officers am i going to am i about to lose a field marshal like is this which i guess yeah, reflects I better the the paranoia and the craziness of the situation <laughs> like you, no one knows when or where the the hammer's going to fall yeah i don't know exactly like what the waiting is as far as like how likely it is for all the different events to fire um but yeah it's uh it's it's definitely my favorite my favorite part of the the new soviet stuff um and uh I'd, I'd love to see more mechanics like that in the future because you know there's yeah like I you said there's plenty of other factions yeah. you can you can adjust that and like there's plenty of, of countries in the second world war like you said that were led by less than balanced individuals yeah <laughs> or, or parties yeah. and so you could easily sort of i know the system itself is clearly based on the like it's obviously got yeah. its roots in the the, the congress system in the u.s which is like dollars anything like who cares? yeah but like you could just instantly shift that system over to like you said the, the germans or the italians or yeah or know. even japan i yeah. i was reading a, a book recently about how basically that they didn't have a plan and if anybody pointed out that they didn't have a plan you would just get voted out of the diet so it was, <laughs> it was like a, a no-win situation basically yeah. Like, how dare you say we don't have a plan? We don't, but you, you're not allowed to say it. So, um, yeah, like the fact that you have to like spend political power to lie to him to like make the, the meter go back down is is really funny too. I actually that that um, was one of the first things 
that I wasn't expecting out of this expansion uh-huh. is how much they rejig the spending of points. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like how not just the political power on those kind of decisions, but the way they've sort of completely changed the way that your army and Navy and Air Force experience points unlock things as well. Like I'm still very mm-hmm. much getting my head around that because it's, you know, I'm obviously years into learning to play it a certain way. And now it's like, Oh, hey, surprise, like with the rest of this stuff, we've also quietly changed this entire like core system of the game yeah. um, into a way that at least superficially seems to make more sense. Um, yeah. Like, I feel like changing tactics and, and your sort of broader approaches to the war aren't things that you would need to research. They, they, they do feel more like things that through experience on the battlefield, you would be learning and adjusting sort of on the fly. And so it seems like the new way that they've brought in that system of, of changing your your battle plans um, makes more sense, but I'm also struggling to get my head around it at the moment because I I'm so muscle memory trained to where the buttons are in the main menu that I keep right. skipping I keep skipping where that is. I'm used to just cycling through the tabs at the top of the um like research and and whatever screen, not having to actually dig into that new uh I don't even know what it's called. Officer Corps. Yeah, it's the the Officer Corps, right. Which I think, you know, in a lot of ways, Hearts of Iron 4 is is two games. It's before the war starts and then after the war starts. And one of my favorite things about how the Officer Corps stuff kind of plays out now is it it makes that pre, you know, pre-invasion of Poland, like pre-kickoff of the war phase a little bit more interesting because you're... Your political PowerPoints are, are you, you have your officer corps competing for those political PowerPoints with things like your government ministers. Um, but if like if you focus entirely on government ministers, because it's like, OK, I'm going to hire industrialists, I'm going to hire small arms designers or whatever, uh, you won't be getting that trickle of army experience that you would get if you had like filled out your chiefs of staff sooner. <laughs> And when the war starts out, you'll be behind doctrines because you can't just spend technology slots on them anymore. So I find that found that that's been one of the most interesting things to try to figure out now is in the lead up to the war, how much political power do I want to spend on government ministers that are going to help my industry? And how many do how much do I want to spend on filling out my officer corps? So I'm getting that trickle of army experience. Uh, and uh, in what order do I want to do that? Yeah, my my concern with it has been that I'm not sure how big a difference it makes outside of the biggest choices. Like, it lets you assign the, the individuals to each branch of service, and then you obviously, yeah. like, doing that obviously has an effect because you're getting a large bonus for something like you always did when you were a point chief of staff or whatever. Um, but the other stuff that you select, like the way that you have to unlock the the different individual strategies that you use Mm -hmm. i'm just not i guess this might take weeks or months to sort of find out how effective it is i'm not normally someone that plays at such a granular level where i'm taking notes in each sort of offensive or battle to see which aspects are working which aren't um so i've I've found that side of it's probably something i haven't used or, or been encouraged to use as much as just the overall act of all right, this is what this is my guy, and this is what we're gonna do. Um, yeah, yeah. It probably matters more in multiplayer. I'm sure there's some kind of a meta to it. Yeah, if there's a like, meta aspect. If you're the kind of person that yeah. sort of doubles down on your your division templates and and that kind right, of percentage, right? I'm stuff, just like, I guess it does, I'm playing yeah. a really really aggressive motorized infantry army this time, so I'm just gonna take all the ones that help motorized infantry and and call it good. That's usually my yeah approach to it but uh yeah um i i still need to dig into that more too but uh like like you said i've i have not really come to grips with the larger countries yet myself either um and i think that's just kind of a theme for me in paradox games in general i kind of like to play the little guys like oh yeah was asking definitely me on, this is the mill this is the millhouse shelbyville like i normally play crusader kings as you know as england or scotland like i like a little space and peace and i, I find uh-huh. these games can sometimes you know i like i like to play um parts of iron as 
not as a tiny power because this game sort of configured that that's not very enjoyable. <laughs> but someone with yeah. a bit of time and space, like like the UK or you know, I, I can play the US. Even I know they're a large power, but they've sort of got their own approach where you can funnel all of that production into one of two coastal cities and then send it out to fronts that already exist, whatever. Whereas playing as yeah. China or Japan or Germany or especially the Soviet Union can be like, oh, it's yeah. too much for me. I, I, I admire everybody that can sort of keep track of war efforts that are that big, but I tend to find that I, if I'm playing as, yeah, the, the Soviets, I just, like I've already said in, in this previously, I just lose track of everything. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I finally yeah. got this invasion of the Ukraine under control and then I've completely forgotten about the Japanese and they're halfway across Siberia or something <laughs> Yeah, somebody asked me the uh the like the when the review embargo was finally out that I was talking about it on Twitter like what's your favorite Soviet focus path so far and I was like I've played Estonia and New Zealand so far <laughs> <laughs> so I can't answer that um, maybe steps I've got to get yeah. control I've got to I've got to get this yeah. under, under control first well and a big part of that is is it like I feel like this is. No Step Back is the expansion for Hearts of Iron 4 that I would compare to, like, the Art of War for EU4, which completely reworked the warfare system, basically. Um, that's what this feels like to me, with how, how much they've shaken up the logistics. Um, they've, they've added, like, a supply hub system where you have to have, like, railways that are developed to a certain level to transport supplies along your railways to different supply hubs, and then you if you want to, you can like use trucks to move supplies from the railways to the troops that are actually fighting on the front lines. Um, I think it just makes every aspect of the war feel more authentic yep. in general. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked yeah. at how sort of fundamentally it changes the game. There's something that was kind yeah. of presented as hey, there's, there's seven map modes you can filter through. Here's a new one that shows supply, and you can do a couple of extra mm -hmm. things. And I learned very quickly playing it that that's not the case at all. Like it, it, It's almost like Hearts of Iron 4 has existed this whole time as this game that wants to fight. Like Its entire pitch is that it wants you to fight the entire Second World War, from mm -hmm. resource gathering to logistics distribution to the appointment of staff to political, you know, the whole thing. But some of those approaches have been more hands-on than others. Like it's, it, it would let you manually repair individual ships and assign individual commanders and give individual divisional orders on a map and stuff. But the logistics side of it tended to be very sort of vague. Mm -hmm. It would be just this place has X amount of supply and this place has this much and you can modify that with a couple of things, but on the whole, you just have to, it's a mystery and <laughs> you have to deal with it. Yeah. Right? Whereas now playing, like, I'm glad I played as France because it showed this up straight away is that I started playing as France and I looked at it and I was like, oh, beautiful. This is a, a incredibly developed, um, industrialized nation. The supply situation looks great. And then I, I looked a little deeper and down near the Alps, it was not. And so I could instantly see that sort of contrast where, okay, here's what a functioning supply system looks like. And here's where it's not working at all. And I was very quickly at war with Italy in this first game I played as France and the supply situation mm -hmm. in the Alps just broke down, um, which previously would have been like, oh, well, I can build, I guess I can improve the infrastructure and yeah, build just some spam infrastructure. Yeah, everywhere which, is, yeah. which is like it's, yeah. it helps numerically, but it doesn't feel like I'm actually impacting that. Whereas now, like, I was like, wow, this is almost SimCity-esque. Like, I'm I'm building supply hubs and now I'm dragging out little railway lines on the map and when yeah. they're built, it actually works. Like, I can instantly see the yeah. map change color and show that supplies are now getting to these divisions in the mountains because I can literally see the train going along a train track to them. And it's like, it's so hands-on, it's so direct that it's like it's finally bringing that that same level of customization and control that the army aspect of the game had is finally bringing that to the logistics side of things which like let's be real is the heart of the game yeah. like this game doesn't exist yeah. without supply and and the stuff that you've 
harvested and built and sent out, like it's finally sort of tied that all together. Um, and so like it's, it, it almost feels like something that would have been the big feature of Hearts of Iron 5, you know, or, yeah, or like yeah. the, the only subject of its own expansion because it's so like important. Um, like I said, like I said at the start, I don't know how this is going to impact. Like I played, <laughs> I played a game in, in Europe which is, you know, I don't know how this would impact an invasion of New Guinea or, or if you're playing as Argentina. Oh, yeah. I don't know how that works, but, like, from my initial playing of it in, in Europe, I just thought it was fantastic. Like, it just exceeded any expectations I had for sort of just how hands-on and, and how impactful it was going to be to my feeling of that I'm in control of the entire war effort. Yeah, it definitely... One of, the, one of my favourite... Um runs to do although it 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 needs an update because they got the focus tree way back in together for victory which those focus trees in particular are not as good as some of the ones that have come in later expansions um is uh is to do the the south the communist south africa and try to like liberate um all of the african states um and it was really interesting because as as I was trying to pull that off, you're fighting, you know, Portugal and the UK for the most part until you get up to like around the Ivory Coast and then France kind of becomes a concern. Um, but it would be like it would it, I would I'd push north a little bit. It would completely stall out and then I'd have to like build railways up. I had like one going through the Namib Desert and the other one was basically uh, kind of along the Great Rift Valley through like Uganda and Tanzania. and. Uh, I was I was winning because I was just I'd fight I'd I'd win one more province I'd have guys come through and build railways behind me and it's like they we're in the middle of the Congo I have supplies you don't so it didn't really matter that it was you know that the the might of the British Empire it was you know they they can't get bullets or food so uh yeah we're we're able to push them back as long as we can keep building our uh our infrastructure network um and uh you know it also lets you do things like you know these surgical strikes against supply hubs which before it was like i think the only way you could really effectively cut off supply it had something to do with infrastructure in neighboring states so you almost had to like draw like a line completely separating two states from each other yeah. to cut them off from supply but now you can do what happened a lot in the actual war and just be like if we take this rail hub we're cutting off supplies to like the entire you know western side of their country which yeah. is pretty cool I, I also noticed um the it, it also like we're probably gonna be able to spend five hours on little things you notice and how incredible it is but oh yeah i noticed oh, yeah. i noticed early on that it i was getting these new alert warnings that airstrikes were were blowing up my trains and impacting yeah. the supply network. Mm -hmm. And I, I just had this realization that, oh, I've ignored most kinds of bombing for the, for the last yeah. five years in this game because I had never got a tangible effect from it. Like strategic bombing was existed on such a such an ethereal statistical plane in this game that I never bothered with it at all. Like I just never it just never impacted me. If I was suffering it, it could be, it was being repaired too easily. If I was doing it, it was a waste of resources building all those planes. Now mm -hmm. it was like, I'd forgotten to intercept Italian bombers and they crippled my entire army because they just bombed the, the trains I had supplying those troops. And I just thought, ah, oh, this is one more thing I've got to worry about, but yeah. it's one more thing I get to work on and improve and do back to them as well. And so it's like, man, it's not even fixing like the logistical side of it on its own, it's even dragging other areas of the game that I'd neglected or or that perhaps weren't playing out as realistically as they could have been, like uh -huh. into a into a more like of course bombing of rail networks is important. Like it was a huge aspect of the Allied yeah. war oh, effort. Yeah. But it's something that you don't do in this game. Whereas now it's like, okay, great, I now get to do this. I can bomb the absolute shit out of someone's rail networks and suddenly their army can't function anymore. Um which like I'm probably going to spend the next six months working out new strategies and approaches <laughs> to things based on that. Cause I haven't been able to do that before. Like it, it feels like it can actually almost make, I might sound like an idiot here and I've been doing something wrong. I don't know, but to launch an actual D-Day style invasion in this game was always 
super mm-hmm. hard and i know it was super hard oh, yeah, in real yeah. life but like I've, I've, it's a video yeah, game yeah. you think i'd be able to to manage it it was always so hard cracking an established uh like fortification with a naval invasion because you couldn't do those extra things that made d-day successful like the, mm-hmm. the aerial invasion the, the the bombing the aerial support whereas now i feel like if i can get my troops on the beach and then i can bomb the German or French or whoever or Soviet, whoever it is, defenses into dust behind that, I may actually be able to pull something like this off with tactics that are different to what the games presented me before or that are more realistic to those that were used at the time or both. It's like, yes, another area where I can like play this game in a new and cool way. Yeah, and I think when you mentioned that, that it, it allows these like historical things to happen, um that couldn't before i think one of the biggest places i see that is actually north africa um because it usually just grinds to a halt uh because neither side can get enough supplies there which makes a lot of sense you have to think about it completely differently there is no way to brute force north africa uh unless you have i guess if you have total air superiority and like total superiority in the Mediterranean, you can, you know, use offshore bombardment and stuff and eventually you'll push through. Um, but the other thing is, is just Barbarossa um, or, or, you know, just Germany invading the Soviet Union in general. They had to like do some weird things that like where they fudged it previously. Like I think they Germany's entire economy was sort of balanced around the idea that they would peter out around when they did realistically. And the cool thing is they don't have to do that anymore. They don't have to balance Germany arbitrarily to not steamroll the Soviet Union because now they have a supply system that much more closely models why they did not successfully invade the Soviet Union. Isn't there also a scorched earth? system in there now yeah well. yeah you yeah. can like you can like blow up your own uh infrastructure so whoever's coming in can't use it after they capture it yeah so, which obviously which is, playing as, yeah. as as countries with land to spare like the soviets right or even uh-huh. or even china I'm, I'm guessing china would probably be like this as well like would actually be like a oh, yeah. Yeah. beneficial tactic instead of just dropping dudes in a meat grinder and giving away that territory yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't messed a lot with the scorched earth because obviously you know if you're playing Estonia they don't have a lot of <laughs> they don't <laughs> have a lot of ground station. that they can give. <laughs> it's kind of yeah we have to fortify the border as much as possible and hope uh uh yeah hope that that uh, Saint Petersburg gets taken so that the Soviets can't just naval invade us. Um, that's uh that's that's sort of the Estonia <laughs> the Estonian experience. <laughs> experience yeah it's 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 pretty fun it's very difficult but uh they have their own focus tree now too that's pretty cool you know um, estonia have a custom focus bathroom i'll do all the soviet yeah all of the baltic states oh. uh got a, got a focus tree in this expansion and i think they did a big update to poland as well um poland now has I haven't played them yet, but uh, they have three different monarchy paths, like three different people who can become king. Apparently you can get like a Cossack king in Poland, which is pretty interesting. Um, I noticed there's so. some new there's some new pre-war diplomatic stuff involving Poland as well, which popped up. Yeah. I've never seen before, which was interesting. It sort of played more. I think it was a choice where I, I, I was playing as France and I was taking them left. Uh-huh. and the Soviets had sort of entered these negotiations with me and it popped up that, hey, maybe we should include Poland in this as well. And I was like, well, this uh-huh. is this, this is nice because this fits that Poland was a major concern at the time. There's a tendency in Hearts of Iron because of the way it's designed that Poland is a speed bump between, right. like, with, you know, and that's it. Whereas this, this seems to have more of a consideration that, hey, Poland, you know, may have ended up as, as you know, caught between two major powers in the war, but in this pre-war time, they were a major concern, and that sort of balanced toward that. So, yeah, I'd be keen to see if Poland has a new focus tree, then sort of what are the ramifications of that coming out for other playthroughs and, and styles as well? Because if I got that as one particular way of playing as France, like maybe there's other cool stuff if I'm playing as the UK or... I don't know, yeah, Italy. yeah. Yeah, 
I, I that's like a level of skill I have never achieved in Hearts of Iron is I have never had a successful Poland game. I've never uh, bothered. I, <laughs> You're braver yeah, than I am. <laughs> it's just, I mean, like, they have all these cool focuses. Like, they can create the, you know, the the uh the middle mayor or between the seas or whatever faction and like invite all these people to it it's like how do you even survive long enough to do that like yeah i think i've tried everything in my entire game yeah well sorry not my entire game my entire experience with the game i have seen one game where they formed they or they reformed the poland lithuania commonwealth i think it was really I think oh, it, wow. was. it was. It was some. It was, I could be wrong. Well, I, I, I know. Playing, I, know I could have been playing Empire Total War and have that on the brain. But they, no, they, I know that's possible. I'm just yeah, incredulous okay, so, that the AI pulled it off. <laughs> and it was a global superpower. They wow. they overran the Soviet Union, um, and then they overran okay. Germany. Uh, and I was playing as a democratic Japan, and it was basically us in the US against this Polish <laughs> <laughs> superpower. And so you would look wow. up and see these Polish forces sort of pouring through china and and north africa and whatever and i thought okay there there is you know it's like maybe it's with maybe it's monkeys with typewriters but there is a there is a sequence of events that can take place where you can survive as poland because i think that was one of the only times i remember sort of getting past 1941 1942 and there being any kind of poland um yeah that's at all What's really interesting is is I I almost always play historical focuses, and from reading your recent stuff about Hearts of Iron, it's like you know I really just need to turn that off more often because <laughs> it sounds I, like it it just opens up the game so much when you oh yeah I stopped I stopped I used to only play historical focus because I used to enjoy uh-huh. playing as like I would play as Australia and I would be the the Ralph Wiggum I'm helping meme where I would yeah, just, uh-huh. that's, I would just, that's what I do with, I'd wait, I'd wait to see, too. I'd, you know, I'd wait for us to regain the initiative in the Pacific or in North Africa. Mm-hmm. And then I'd send my little army off in some like vulnerable area and be like, yay, I'm helping. <laughs> I'm winning this tiny little campaign yep. thing. Whereas ever since I started playing some of the bigger mods, um, Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I'd really just like to try this with the historical AI off. And then I don't think I've played with the historical AI on for years because I just love starting in 1936 and finding that every single time I play, it's a completely different scenario because there's no way every variable can go the same way every time, um, except for the Mexican Civil War, which seems to happen every single time you play with the historical oh, AI yeah. off. But apart from that, you know, sometimes the US will go neutral, sometimes they won't, sometimes. Britain will do that crazy King's Party thing and other times it won't. And sometimes France goes hard communist and sometimes it goes fascist. And sometimes the, the Germans bring Wilhelm back and sometimes they don't. Like it's, and if you're playing as you know, all, the, all the old alliances are off, all the, all the historical scenarios are gone. And so every war is completely different. And sometimes it completely breaks the game because sometimes you need those power blocks to sort of balance <laughs> each other out. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think the variables are as... as so interesting that it's sort of worth that risk do you leave it on completely random or do you ever mess with like the you can tell certain countries to do certain things it depends i don't i sometimes toggle the uk to not break up its its empire Uh because that just becomes this sort of endless uh, like administrative nightmare because you always get Mm -hmm. both new zealand's and both australia's and both canada's like sending you non-aggression agreements and wanting yeah, to yeah. like i just don't have the time to right click through all of this so yeah you guys can all just stay as one faction for this war that would be great uh thank you um for some reason the i know france has the ability to do it but it doesn't seem to do it as often as the uk does it sort of had its own i think with france it's only one or two options you can pick to sort of decolonize them whereas the uk has its it has its own whole path where it does that and you know India breaks up and goes to war with Pakistan and the civil war in Australia and New Zealand. Right. Um, I think that's the only variable. Apart from that, I just like to see where it goes, see what America does, see what Germany does. <laughs> yeah, I need to try that more. Uh, what I will do sometimes is, uh, well, for one thing, if I'm playing as the Allies, I almost always take at least Germany and sometimes Germany and Japan, and I just turn that slider all the way up um, because, you know... I. I'm at the skill level at Hearts of Iron where if, if I'm playing as an allied country and it's the historical settings, 
like Germany is doesn't have a chance. There's no drama because I know we're going to win. So I, I like to boost uh, the the like the main axis powers when I'm playing as as the any like any of the major allied countries. But the other thing I've done a couple times that's kind of fun is like I'll start as the U.S. and then I'll set it so like everybody who has a fascist path will go fascist. So it's like the darkest timeline and like I'm the only country that's standing against them and that can kind of be uh fun as well. It's very fun. I've had it. I've had yeah. a. Uh, I've had a non-historical AI-focused path basically become that. It was the U.S., oh, yeah, Canada, yeah. Mexico, and Australia against. Uh, it. I think it was just Germany and Japan, but they had literally conquered everywhere else, and so it was just this oh, wow. constant yeah. sort of barrage of bombing and naval battles off both coasts, and an endless sort of naval invasion attempt in Mexico, and yeah, it's a very cool way to to play the game. Um, but also it gets a bit exhausting after a while because you get locked in that sense where yeah. like they're just going to keep sending. You know, the, the AI always has, a, has that optimal path of being able to get divisions with guns and throwing them at you in quantities that you can never seem to do yourself. Um, then it just starts to become a bit sort of inescapable. But for a few years, it's one of my favorite ways to play the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have like a particular, like what is the weirdest situation you've ever seen playing with with historical focuses off oh it's too hard to it's it, sometimes it's it's indescribable uh -huh. i've got a i've got a screenshot i've i saved of this game i played once as um it was king's party uk which happened by accident <laughs> and everything just went backwards and, and it, it's not so much the development of the countries that gets bizarre. It's where everybody ends up and where everybody's fighting to have. I remember fighting a war in Mongolia, but next to me were Argentinian and Mexican troops. And then there was the weird <laughs> fascist Canadian army there as well. It's that situation where multiple factions, it was a world where multiple factions arose. So I had my own weirdly named faction that I can't even remember. And the allies still existed, but it was only a handful of former Commonwealth countries. And then the US was its own North American thing with Canada. And because there was five or six factions, everyone was at war. And they had these kind of unannounced alliances where you'd be fighting a war and suddenly these other guys would turn up alongside you in allied color schemes. You'd be like, uh -huh. I've, I've had nothing to do with you, but sure, <laughs> let's let's go to war together in Mongolia. <laughs> it's let's see how Why this not? goes yeah yeah that and the polish that polish game was wild as well like just watching um poland just seeing that little flag that little polish lithuanian commonwealth flag like all like in iran and, <laughs> and like yeah was just yeah super odd as well but you know anyone that's played a paradox game will know that that is those are also some of the best moments when the random kingdom or the random religion you know somehow gets this good run and becomes the dominant power against all the odds and just looks really odd. Yeah, so the 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 one game so far that I've finished of No Step Back, I've played a lot where I didn't actually play to the end of the war. But the one I actually finished is um I I went with the 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 communist path for Mexico, which they got they got their focus tree update I think in the last was it La Resistance? It might have been the one before that. Um, that Mexico got a big focus tree update. Yeah, they it's, have it's, it's why they yeah. now always have civil wars when you turn off historical focus because they've got some right, more right. sort of factual hard, options. Hard. Yeah, it's hard to avoid unless you go for like three specific focuses really, really fast. I don't really actually know if you can avoid the civil war. Um, uh, yeah, so basically i you know i i got to a point where and I, I i cranked up germany and japan like i usually do just just to make it interesting um and i got to a point where i had completely fortified the u.s border with like forts and anti-aircraft guns and radar and everything finally declared war on the u.s and like i crossed the rio grande and was fighting them in texas for like three years or something until germany eventually like they defeated the soviet union which was actually good for me because i had 
given Trotsky exile, so Stalin really didn't like us. He was actually the, the chief of my arm. You can make him chief of your armed forces now with this expansion, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so Germany like invaded the US and like I was trying to eat the Southwest while they were like moving across the Great Plains because uh, I wasn't at war with them, but we were both at war with the US. And that was like one of the most interesting scenarios I've ever seen uh play out uh ahistorically. Um just the fact that they were able to successfully invade navally invade the US, I think, was the first time I've ever seen that happen. Yeah, um, I I can count on one hand the number of times I've been <laughs> able to do it. Um, yeah. Even even when you can establish like a decent beachhead, it's uh-huh. it every single region is like there's there is no breaking the United States. <laughs> there's yeah it's yeah. just it's just an endless slog the further and further you go they they just keep on keep on fighting the whole time and it's like yeah so I, I would actually be interested to see if the supply system would change that this time if you could break them if by well, you know, it, yeah it, it, them or, or bombing them you could actually stop that from happening because i assume the reason that happened is the u.s has so many territories with so many factories and resources in them that it can just endlessly turn out you know basic infantry divisions and just keep throwing them in front of you so yeah, I would be super interested to see if the supply system does let you get around that. Um, if you can bring enough sort of firepower. Yeah, it definitely like it 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 definitely made a huge difference when we captured the rail hubs in like the, the central US. Uh the that kind of was what eventually turned the tide of the war. I also ended it by nuking Los Angeles and uh San Diego, but we don't need to focus on that. Uh, <laughs> it's like he was like oh it's kind of this will be kind of poetic it's sort of like how world war ii ended but with the shoe on the other foot um you know uh don't don't want to have to invade los angeles probably take too many losses but um uh yeah so so sorry la friends um uh yeah uh the other feature that uh i've had a lot of fun with from this expansion though is they they finally added a tank designer um so i, I didn't have time to mess with that so i'd like i'd like to hear how <laughs> um, good it is it, because i i never really used the ship designer neither much. do i i, I tended I, to I, just navies are to the suggestions so yeah. yeah navies are still kind of an enigma to me i still have not fully gotten my head around it since they since uh man the guns came out and they redid all the naval stuff um, i don't think it's like, a matter of getting your head around it. i think it's just a matter that they suck yeah i mean <laughs> I, that's, think, that's, I think the engines i think the engines reliance the on I, I think yeah. the engines rely like the, the what is it the class suits engines reliance on regions i think is is inescapable like the way that yeah. everything has to be in a region and so everything's linked to a region instead of it being a vast open sea I think sort of, I that's where I put my finger. So I say this is why navies are broken because they behave like they're on land. Yeah, um, my my tactic has always just been to build a whole bunch of submarines and put them on convoy raiding and forget about it. Um, so <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, we don't we don't need to win battles. Just just go hurt their economy and don't talk to me again for the rest so of the game. But the tank designer seems more practical if only that you can just take existing tanks that were good and just put bigger guns on them. yeah uh, i i really like it a lot um i play with it quite a bit the thing it eats up a lot of your army experience so you know your your same pool of points that you're using to unlock doctrines now is also you know being used to to make new tanks um but i just love that they they don't put a lot of restrictions on what you can do and you can just make some really stupid stuff where it's like this is i know this isn't efficient but it's cool so i'm just gonna go for it and see what happens do they have restrictions like, on it like can you put a hundred mil can you put a hundred millimeter gun on a sherman or is it, or is it like is there a point where it says no no just so there's there's certain there are certain uh guns that are restricted to certain chassis sizes like you still have light medium heavy and super heavy um but then there's also a turret you can mount that's like it's a fixed it's a non-rotating turret and if you pick that turret type you get some some penalties in other areas but it also lets you 
mount guns that are one step higher than you normally would be able to. So you could mount a heavy gun on a on a medium tank or a super heavy gun on a heavy tank. Um and uh yeah, just like you could like put a tank with like a bulldozer blade on it that like you You've loaded it down with so much armor that it only goes four kilometers an hour. It's the same <laughs> speed as infantry, but it has an entrenchment bonus. And I did this with Estonia. I was like, we're just going to make armored divisions that are just they're just metal walls that you sit behind <laughs> and lob shells at the enemy. And it was pretty effective because it's like we didn't need to win a war of maneuver. We just needed to, like, defend our four land provinces <laughs> for, you know. As long yeah. as we possibly could. Um, they've they've added flamethrower tanks, which are, are really good. Like if you're playing as Romania and it's like, I have all this oil, but nothing else. <laughs> what am I going to do with all this oil? Well, you can light it on fire and shoot it at people. Like that's that's another option to get the most out of your... Uh, I, would just, I would just wonder about... Because that's one of my... Like yeah, I said before yeah. with the battle plans, is is the feedback on how successful my designs... Yeah, yeah. Like, if there's any way of sort of measuring, well, if I put, if I went to all this trouble of making this custom tank, yeah, was yeah. that any more effective than just rolling out an existing tank? I guess if you play, if you like, we said before, if you if you multiplayer focused or you're someone who really gets into right, the numbers, right. maybe you can seek that information out. But it sounds like fun just from a tank nerd's perspective, like those people that argue over historical tank specs. Like yeah, 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 like a T thirty four versus Panther kind of scene where those people can like just go go nuts and say, well, I want this, you know, this this stat, I can make that better and make it match this or whatever. Yeah, I wish there was a better way to get feedback on that because yeah, usually it's just whatever whatever cool idea I have in my head. It's almost like a role playing thing. Is like okay. My concept for this division is I'm going to have motorized infantry and then I'm going to put light tanks with them. And I want to see maintaining high reliability and making sure that they don't slow down the trucks. How much armor and firepower can I fit onto that? <laughs> yeah. You know, before it's like you said, role playing below those like, benchmarks. Yeah. Role playing is a huge part of this. Like, I, I haven't, I still don't know or care how the naval systems work, but I. Yeah. I design aircraft carriers to like the the nth yeah, degree yeah. just because I'm like, well, I'm a ship designer yeah, for yeah. the next four minutes, so this is what I want, <laughs> and and yeah, so that's what yeah. I build. I never get I never get any feedback on whether I could have just sent out. You know, I've I've got a suspicion with navy stuff that I can just constantly build 1940 level ships and it doesn't matter <laughs> because I'm just yeah. putting X amount of capital ships with X amount of firepower into a battle, um, and all that fiddling around. I don't know how much difference it makes, but. Yeah, I, I wonder if the role-playing stuff with the tanks would be just like the ships where, you know, I don't care how effective it is, I just care how fun it is to be able to name and design my own sort of main battle tank for a major Second World War faction. Is it just, is it just a turret? Like, what, because I haven't played with this at all. Like, I, I've messed around with most yeah. aspects. The so only the thing I've done is, is sort of see my building tree when I was playing as France and be like, there's a lot of chassis here. <laughs> <laughs> can i so just you have like yeah you have like you have your your um you have your mobility slot which you know you, you could even go with like street wheels if you want to uh it's not a very good idea but you can uh you have a slot for suspension you have a slot for what type of engine you have and you have a slot for what type of turret and then on top of that you can add oh and then armor type too because armor level and armor type are now separate things like sloped armor works differently from like cast armor which works differently from like riveted armor and they all require different tech levels and stuff and then you can you can choose a main weapon to go on your turret and then you have a few like miscellaneous slots where you could like add more machine guns or you can add like uh you know um like protected can ammo, you, you can add like protected ammo storage is one where like there's a less chance of like am ammo explosions, so you get more reliability and stuff. Can you do that early war thing where you put a couple of extra crazy turrets on the front or the side? Oh yeah, yeah. You can you can load. I had one. 
I made one light tank that was just meant to be for recon companies. Like you can have the armored recon company now to accompany infantry. And it was basically just a turtle with as many machine guns as I could fit on it. <laughs> so it's like, you know, the, wasn't you know wasn't uh wasn't doing a lot of hard damage but if it was an infantry versus infantry battle they're they're pretty uh effective um and then they have like a lot of these like things that that actually people tried during the war like that you can have like the hybrid electric drive that that Porsche used on a lot of the the German tanks and it you know it takes your reliability but one thing you can do is like okay can I turn this into a tank that has a better than 50% chance of making it to the front line. Let's, <laughs> let's see. So you can, you can do stuff like that too, which is pretty cool. Are you, are you visually restrained? Like in terms of how they look, like if you're playing as, I don't know which, which faction to test that with, but like if you're playing as the Germans, are you limited visually to only examples of German armor? Or is it going to be one of those I things where modders, so. modders let you like. Cause it'll, it'll give, once out, once you've like slotted everything in, it'll give the tank a designation, like whether it's like a like a regular tank or like a tank destroyer or a self deployed artillery propelled artillery, and I think it just picks the model based on that. There aren't like oh I changed out the turret and now the three D model of the tank is gonna be showing me a different turret on there, but uh, oh that's important. Yeah. Modders oh yeah. yeah i'm sure i'm sure the modders will have us covered on that um but uh yeah i i i love messing around with the tank designer i love i love just making stupid tanks like i it's like i i know this isn't good it's just it's cool it's <laughs> it's really cool to have self-propelled artillery that can go you know 12 kilometers an hour and uh you know outflank everybody and has you know enough armor plating to to go up against tank destroyers uh so yeah no oh, i'm going uh, to try that cool. out because i i know I, I talk shit about the naval designer stuff and that i only do it yeah for fun, but yeah. that's because i usually don't play with navy kind of have to always use tanks yeah so yeah i guess uh -huh. it, i guess by virtue of that it's going to be a more important element that but also like i i like that the option's still there to not use it yeah. Like, yeah here are the existing tanks that this faction is just build this you've researched light right. tanks just, right. just here's the light tank don't worry about it just build this one and it's fine or you know and then you can only if you want to mess around with it that's fine if not just you know because I, oh, I was wondering whether you get that thing where that frustrating thing with certain factions and times and approaches where then you would get you would research like a new type of ship to build but you couldn't build it because certain there were points limits because of naval treaties and yeah, yeah, other, yeah. other developments were locked in. It was really frustrating that I've unlocked 1940 aircraft carriers. Why can't I build one yet? Whereas it doesn't seem like that's a problem here. As soon as you unlock a different chassis, it's just put excise yeah, on it, yeah. put this suspension on it, put this engine in it. Go crazy. Yeah, the limiting factor is generally just speed and reliability. Um, yeah. You can't go below marching speed you can't go below four four kilometers an hour you can't make like caterpillar <laughs> tanks um and you can't because you know, that would be the first thing i did i'd be like what yeah, is the biggest yeah. heaviest dumbest tank I can yeah uh-huh uh -huh. and uh and then like yeah you're if you're if your reliability goes below 80 percent you know you might as well not not build it because you're going to yeah. be losing more than you can replace yeah um but the other cool thing is you have a lot more control over the production costs too. Like you can make like a stripped down light tank with just a machine gun on it that doesn't cost much more than an armored car, which is nice because it gives like it gives countries that don't have a lot of industry an option to at least mix in some armor because you you can actually afford it, which is oh that's really cool. Yeah, because uh, you, when you mentioned about spending the points on the tanks, one of the frustrations I've had with tanks and you know, more serious players than me can probably write in and, and say I've been doing this wrong as well. But I've, I've found most factions that I've played as you kind of have to pick one tank and that's your tank for most of the war because mm -hmm. the time it takes to ramp up production of them and then the time it takes to replace that with enough 
right, replacement right. tanks to fill out all your divisions by the time you're well into the war means like you're going to be stuck trickling tanks all the way through. Whereas if you, so you kind of have to, like, okay, the T-34 is my tank. I'm not going to have many armor divisions until that's ready. And then I'm going to build 30,000 of them. And then that's my tank for the rest of the war because I won't have the time to build more tanks to replace that, especially when you get the modern tank schism and, and those yeah, tanks need their uh-huh, own sort of uh-huh. supply chain. So it would be very cool if I could just jump in in 1936 and say, I want this super cheap light tank that I can build a few thousand of now. And then when the time comes to replace that, I can actually gear up and sort of modify my production lines to be able to build enough of them fast enough and cheap enough that that makes it viable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's another one of those things where a lot of times you, you think about customization in a strategy game in terms of like how much attack and defense and speed can I get on this thing? But in hearts of iron, one of the biggest things you have to think about is like, how many of these can I make and how quickly? And I like that we have more options now in that regard. Especially early game, because yeah, where speed mm-hmm. like fast light tanks sort of are the difference in a lot of scenarios. Early oh yeah, game. oh yeah, oh yeah. If you can if you can churn out you know a few hundred or thousand sort of ultra cheap fast tanks, and you're fighting in a theater where they've got room to move. Yeah, that could be. Oh, I'm gonna have to stop this <laughs> when we're done. I'm gonna have yeah. to buy the game up. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And the first thing I'm gonna do is like start a new game and just go roll my sleeves up and go into the tank designer. Well, what are your uh, what are your final thoughts from uh, what you've seen so far of this expansion, and just how far Hearts of Iron Four has come since the last time we did an episode, which I think has been like two, at least two years, maybe longer than that. I mean, putting the supply stuff aside, I think mm-hmm. it's it's a cool, sort of slightly fa- faction specific, but just cool little update to a game that's now you know what is it five years old uh, yeah yeah like some of these to like the tank designer and, and the officer core and stuff are the kind of little tweaks you expect from a paradox game this far into its lifespan like little things that you know they don't fundamentally change the game but they just keep you interested enough that you will fire it back up and play it and see how it's changed and if it's better or not like i, I dig most of this stuff so far that i've had a chance to try it anyway but the supply thing yeah, like I said, it doesn't feel like part of an expansion to this game. It feels like something that would have been the fundamental sort of selling point of the next Hearts of Iron. Like, it's just... Yeah. It changes yeah. so many ways the game plays in so many positive ways and makes it so much more realistic. Um, it's it's sort of crazy that it's sort of been packaged as a Soviet expansion and not as, like, this game changing <laughs> like this yeah, thing that completely yeah. changes i can't think of another paradox game where they've so drastic like crusader kings had its moments and europa universalis had its moments where parts would change you know with certain expansions but like i can't remember one that's so game changing as this has been yeah i th- like the only one that i think could give it a run for its money might be eu4 like i remember johan anderson saying at one point that like if we hadn't followed the dlc model that we did if we were still making games like we did in you know the the oos uh the number of new features we've introduced and the number of features we'd reworked we'd be on like europa universal seven by now (laughs) and it it really does feel like that you know this could be this could be hearts of iron five at this point if you compare it to uh what we got you know back in in 2016 um so uh yeah i think it's you know it's still kind of the ultimate armchair general game for me and uh this update is maybe the best one they've done um so far it it takes like it just plays directly into all the strengths of why the game is so good it's not just it's not just the breadth of things that it lets you do in the war but it's the sort of direct and tangible way that you can see those affecting the outcome of the war and so the way this threads itself so neatly into so many of those aspects like we've like we talked about how it, everything from the little sim city thing where you can paint them to the way it changes your maps to the way it changes your invasion plans to it makes a lot of bombing stuff relevant again like it makes the production of trains important like it just like every it, there's not a there's not an aspect of the game that it's not touching and changing in some way 
and mm. as something that sort of started life in my consciousness as a map filter, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. and yeah. was sort of yeah. and was sort of pitched as a way to make Barbarossa a bit more interesting. Like it, it feels like it's way more important and fundamental to the game than than something you would expect as sort of jump like following in the the wake of a faction specific expansion. Before we uh, before we wrap up here, did you have anything you want to plug? Just read Kotaku.com. It's a good website. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I think with that, we are uh, we're going to wrap up on uh, Hearts of Iron 4 No Step Back. Uh, three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can go to idlethumbs.net slash 3MA to check out our forums, check out uh, other great podcasts that you might be interested in listening to. Uh, we're also supported by listeners just like you on patreon.com slash 3MA, where you can get access to our uh, top secret Black Ops Discord server and uh, even play some some multiplayer games with us. Maybe some Hearts of Iron. If we have a quorum on it, we don't we don't currently have a Paradox game running, but that could be you. If you, if you subscribe to the Patreon and you, you you're interested in it, we can make it happen. Um, our, we're also on Twitter, where our tag is at 3MA. Uh, this episode was produced by me, and we will be back next week with uh, another great episode. So until then, uh, for Luke, this is Len saying goodnight. <laughs>